this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. I have, I do have a couple of updates for you. Uh, I haven't talked about the clothing closet for a while. We've been recruiting for it, but it is, I don't know if you all saw my post. Did I post last night on the Freedom Valley page? I think I did. Uh, we are close to having it all outfitted. We still need a few things on the wish list, but if you recall, this is it's like a clothing bank, if you will, like a food bank, but with kids' clothing. We want to serve the kids of our community with good quality clothes, and so parents can come and sort of shop, take stuff that they need for their kids, and so we are open for donations. That's the main thing I want to say. Bring all your donations of kids' clothes. I would love to get those on the shelves and ready to serve our families in Adams and York County. Uh, the other thing is CARES. Please sign up if you want to help with the kitchen volunteer specifically. Gettysburg Cares is the cold weather shelter that a group of churches in Gettysburg uh, helps with over the, the winter months. And we house the homeless. And uh, St. James is, is the main church there that runs that. They, are, they actually have a facility this year to house them, which is awesome. Uh, but we are helping with kitchen volunteers to feed them breakfast in the morning. So it's 6 to 8 a.m., uh, our serving block is November 27th through December 10th, but training is this week. That's why this is, would be the last week to sign up. So um, sign up for that tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. is one training. I will be at that one. If you want to meet me at St. James, uh, let me know. And then there's another one Wednesday night at 7 p.m. if that works better for you. So I'd love to, to get you on our schedule and to get you helping with that. Okay. All right. So today I have a message for you that will deepen all of the messages that have gone before in this series. It's not, most of it's not necessarily new information. I feel like throughout this series, we've repeated a lot, but it's because these concepts are built on one another, right? I mentioned this last week, but when Jesus taught about money, and we're going to read Jesus's words specifically today, when he taught about money, he assumed his Jewish hearers, the people in the audience that were Jewish, that were listening, He assumed they already knew a thing or two, okay? They knew how to tithe. These people, it was built into their culture, into their families, into their religion, into their everything. They knew how to tithe. They knew how to sacrifice. These concepts were so built into them that they weren't just concepts. They were mandates. They were laws. They didn't struggle with the practical nature of these laws. They obeyed them. What they struggled with was the concepts behind them. Which is why God would occasionally unleash a metaphorical or a literal plague of, say, locusts on them, right? To get the people to see just how good they have it. And when they aren't obeying God to the fullest, he isn't protecting to the fullest. He isn't able to protect to the fullest unless they're fully obedient to him. The locusts in our lives represent anything that would come in and steal your harvest. It would steal or destroy your household, your family, the way that you provide and put food on the table, okay? And it feels like right now there's a lot of that. I've ranted and raved about toilet paper costs the first week of the series. By the way, three of you have given me toilet paper since then. (laughs) Appreciate it so much. Um, Thank you. But yeah, it's, it wasn't about toilet paper necessarily, but about the, the, how we get to live in God's economy, right? Not the world's, God's economy. We get to opt in, and it's as simple as giving 10% of our income to the church. Now, I say simple, but a lot of us struggle with it. It, it sounds like a lot when you're first approaching what this would mean. And so the messages so far in this series have really been geared more toward non-tithers or non-givers. We're teaching these basic concepts. And just in case you missed it, just to say it one more time, tithing is the most basic concept. It is at the bottom of this tier. The Bible actually looks at it as the bare minimum that you can do to trust God with your income. If you're not tithing, you're not trusting. That's the bottom line. It's the bare minimum. And buckle up, by the way, because Jesus will ask you for a lot more than 10%. He will also give you a lot more than your 90% that you're holding on to, right? But this message, that all was recapped so far. This message is for those of us who do tithe, and it's a reminder to look beyond the tithe. This message is for us to examine 
everything we do, including but not limited to giving to the church. By the way, just this morning, I thought I should have called this message, more money, more problems. (laughs) Didn't think of it in time, missed opportunity, but maybe you'll be able to see why as I read through this message. Are you ready? It's a story straight from Jesus, and it starts out in Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, just pause there for one second. He says again, this was a big teaching point for Jesus, okay? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he was always trying to explain what these concepts are like, what these things are like. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why would Jesus spend so much time explaining the kingdom of God? He's always trying to explain these things, but if you... I think we often forget just how messed up the ancient world was. We tend to think of our world as pretty messed up, and we've only gotten worse. But (laughs) if you've studied the ancient world at all, they were, I would have hated to live in that time period. I mean, we think of children as being so valuable, and and we pour education into them. Those things were non-existent in the ancient world. Uh, The way that we are, like, anti-slavery and for the individual person, you know, None of that was normal in the ancient world. In fact, those things were started, pioneered by Jesus himself. We've talked about this many times before. The effect that Jesus had on the earth, even 2,000 years later, we're still still feeling those ripple effects, in part because the church is driving these things forward. I know it feels bad out there in the world today. Like culture's getting worse. But there are certain aspects of Jesus' ministry that we are pushing forward. And it's amazing when you look at it, even the way that we value humility. If you look at ancient writings, they did not. They boasted and bragged about themselves all the time. There was no value placed on humility even. It's amazing when you start to look at it. Things that were unique to Jesus. He preached about the kingdom of heaven because he wanted our world to be a little more like that. It's amazing and truly miraculous that we are still pursuing that to this day. Even when our culture seems like it isn't. Even when Satan twists and turns things, Jesus' followers are still, like healthcare, for example. Right? We all know the big pharma, the healthcare industry, it's bonkers, right? Satan has taken it and twisted it. But the overarching idea of healthcare even came from Jesus caring for the sick and the needy, right? So Satan twists it and turns it, don't get me wrong, but the, the idea is that Jesus' followers are still moving forward generation to generation. I remember that sermon where I talked about how many of our area hospitals have been uh, started by believers? Like, almost all of them. It's insane. Over 90%. So, You can see through the thread of history, even when we lose for a little while, we prevail in the end, and we're still marching toward what Jesus said. You know that Hillsong? It's so a lie, I think. The lyric is evolving in pursuit of what he said, right? We're racing towards what Jesus spoke into existence 2,000 years ago, and it's amazing. We're, We're still following him to this day. He preached about bringing the kingdom here, now. It was also a there and then. Jesus is coming back and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and his new kingdom will be set up. But that today is not that day. Today there is work to be done to bring his kingdom here and now. It means living for each other, not just for ourselves. And this is where generosity comes into play, like we've been talking about for weeks now. It's, it's not just down to you, right? It's not you looking out for you, me looking out for me dog-eat-dog world trying to just get ahead, right? It's seeing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is the kingdom. This is the concept that Jesus is trying to explain over and over, and it's not an easy concept to explain, not on purpose. God's not hiding truth just for the sake of hiding it, but because it's so hard for our little brains to comprehend such a big, amazing, miraculous thing. And so Jesus put it, he put these truths these big, humongous truths into story form to, called parables, right? You've heard of the parables of Jesus. So that we could try to grasp at these big truths. It's like, 
It's like when I try to explain, explain fractions to my kids, right? You have one orange, and you cut it into six pieces, and you give two to your brother. How many do you have left? Right? You, you hide truth in story so that we can grasp it better. Does that make sense? This is what Jesus is doing. We can visualize something a little better when we have examples. We grasp deeper meanings and truths when we have a simple parable. Jesus knew this, and he put truth in fiction sometimes to help us grasp it. So here he's telling the story of a man going on a long trip to illustrate the kingdom of God. We'll keep reading. He called together his servants, this man going on a long trip, called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Sounds like a pretty sensible idea, right? No risk, no reward, but no risk. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. (laughs) But the third one. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. So proud of himself. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least then I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you have the story, harsh Though it is, right? And I have three questions today to ask you out of this story. Number one, how do you see God? How do you see your heavenly father? Look, the third guy here, he sees God as a harsh taskmaster. We hear it right from his own lips, right? I knew you were a harsh man. He sees God as unfair, Harvesting crops you didn't cultivate. He doesn't understand the principle, this principle in the kingdom. I thought a lot about this guy this week. He couldn't see the boss man who was full of praise. Right? He, he couldn't see the boss that was kind and wanted to celebrate with his servants. He could only see that punishment would come and he reacted out of that. He was punishment avoidant instead of reward-seeking with the master. And I think that's how a lot of us actually are toward God. We would say that we aren't, but we act as though we are. We're looking at God saying, what is the least that I can do for him and still be a Christian? What is the least amount of money I can give? What is the least amount of time I can give? What is the least amount of effort that I can give and still be a disciple, still get to live in the master's house? The least amount to not be punished by God. That, that's not a heart for God's house. Right? That's a heart that sees God as a harsh taskmaster. The way that you see God determines how you serve him. And I think a lot of it, sometimes it comes from the way that we are raised. We tend to look at God as if, as we looked at our earthly fathers. 
who were not perfect, right? But you have to, when you come to God, you have to understand that he is a good father. He's a good father. Perfect father. He wants to give you good gifts. That's who he is. He wants to give good gifts to his children, right? We have to change our thinking in that. That's what worship does, by the way. We worship with passionate abandon because it shifts our mindset from what we feel like to who he is. It doesn't matter if there's a cloud hanging over our heads. It doesn't matter if your account is in the negative this morning. We worship God. And by the way, I, I've done this. I've been there. I've come into God's house and been all hangdog. I don't deserve to be here, right? Like looking around at all these passionate worshipers, like they must be so good, so holy. So they must, you know what I mean? Deserve to praise God to some degree. And, Cause I know how good God is and I know how not good I am. Right? And so I come in like, I don't even deserve to be here. Thank you, God. But half-heartedly singing the lyrics. I don't mean them because I... Who am I to mean them? Who am I to come before a good God and say, here's something, I'm trusting you. Like, I just don't feel worthy. But it's not about how worthy I am because I will never be worthy enough. Not ever. There was one man on planet Earth who was worthy enough. I am not that man. Jesus Christ is the only man who walked this earth perfect and undeserving of punishment, and yet he was the one who took it on for me. So if he's willing to sacrifice everything for me, can I not sacrifice worship and praise on a Sunday morning for him? Is he not worthy? And that's the question. It's not about what I feel like. It's about who he is. Worship reminds you who he is. He is the provider. He is the deliverer. He is the healer, right? These are biblical names of God. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Jireh. It's who he is. That's worship. It doesn't have to be with an awesome band and right lyrics. And you just praise God. Tell him who he is, not what he's done for you. That's praise. Not thanking him for what he's done for you. That's thanksgiving. You need those things too. But worship specifically is about him and only him. When you can remind yourself who he is, of course he would provide for me. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's going to provide, right? That's who he is. We have to remind ourselves who he is because how we see God determines how we serve him. How do you see him? You see him as unfair? Which, by the way, we have all been there at some point. Don't beat yourself up about this. We, none of us have a 100% perfect view of God. My view of God changes all the time as I'm in his word. I discover new amazing things about him all the time. That's why we study his word. He tells us who he is. It's not some great mystery. He is a God who wants to be known and seen and heard by you. He will tell you. So it's why the Bible says you don't have to go looking for signs like the pagans do. We serve a speaking God. He wants to speak his will to you. He has already, and it's written down in 66 books, plain black and white. Somebody's translated it into 87 different versions of English. It's very, I don't know how many versions. It's very easy to read is my point. I kind of got off base there. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. That, but God wants to be known by you. I feel that so heavily on his heart this morning. He wants you to pursue him and understand who he is. He is not an unfair God. We've been asking these questions in, in Bold and Brave, my women's group, on Wednesday night lately. And, and I think somebody asked a question this week, like, why does God, why does God get to be jealous? God is a jealous God, the Bible says, but we don't. Why is that a sin for us? right? Those questions are not bad to ask. In fact, you should be asking them because you are actively switching your mindset from how dare he, that seems wrong and unfair, right? To when you realize the answer, which is that God cannot be jealous in the same sinful way that we are because he already owns everything, right? It all belongs to him. He's jealous for our time because we're wrongly giving it to the wrong place, our jealousy comes from us wanting things that aren't ours, they're his. That's the difference. There's a sinful jealousy and the righteous 
jealousy of God. When you realize that, then you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. And now I can worship him as the amazing, like he's, he's good for being jealous of my time. He deserves it. So of course he should be. Does that make sense? When we ask questions of the word, we change our mindset from him being unfair and we get to see him correctly. This is why theology is so important. It leads us down paths that we shouldn't be in. The way we see God determines how we serve him. I've had lots of people ask the question, you know, how should I, how should I tithe? Do I, do I tithe on like gross my paycheck? I'm looking at my paycheck. How do I do this? Practically, do I tithe on the gross or do I tithe on the net? I always squirm a little with this question because that's, we didn't get taxes taken out in the ancient world, right? There is no biblical and black and white answer to this. But the thing is, to ask that question reveals a little bit of our hearts sometimes. For sure, some of us are just trying to be the most obedient. We're trying to figure out the practical, how's this going to work? But I think sometimes it's also we're trying to get by with the least amount that we can give. Right? They want somebody to tell them it's okay to just do the net because the, they see the difference in what that is. We're squeaking by with the very least amount that we can give because we don't have a correct view of who God is. When we see him as the abundant overflowing with blessings, God, that he is, then we'll treat him as such. We'll be faithful with what little we have and try to give him more. Of course, I would want to try to give him as much as I can because he deserves it and because he blesses me so much. It's who he is. We can boldly trust. Walk in obedience, right? And he will reward those efforts. I'm saying this with faith today because I believe God has more in store for Freedom Valley, even though I don't see it today. Right? I believe he has provision for all our bills, all our staff, all our ministries, all of it. I, he knows what we need. He has an abundance. He is a good God with good blessings, and he will build his church. That's who he is. How do you see God? The second question is, how are you managing God's stuff? How are you managing God's stuff? This is one of those spiritual growth questions that we don't think about very often. Do you know the four spiritual growth questions? How are you growing in your relationship with God? How are you growing in your relationship with people? How are you growing in your influence with outsiders, people outside the church? And four is how are you growing in managing your resources? Four areas that we grow spiritually. We tend to only look at the how are we growing in our relationship with God, maybe in our relationship with people, right? Well, I'm not very patient, and, you know, I, I hope God can develop me into a more patient person. We get those things pretty easily. We often forget about the last two, and I think especially the handling your resources one. We just, we think about reading your Bible. We think about praying. We think about worshiping, stuff like that. But managing your blessings Managing your resources, the way that you do that matters to God. Jesus taught a lot about money, how we are managing our stuff, the stuff that we're entrusted with. The Bible actually calls us stewards. Have you heard that word thrown around in church before? Stewardship or, or that we are stewards. Stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something temporarily. It's not ownership Stewardship is a little bit different. So it's like in an organization or a, a property. I had some kids on the playground once here at Freedom Valley, out on the playground. They, were, they ran up to me and they were like, are you like the principal of the church? Couldn't figure me out. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, yeah, I think you're looking for the word pastor. I don't know. Um, but even my foster kids last year, they, they asked at one point, they're like, can't you park wherever you want? I mean, you do own the church. Said it with an attitude. I was like, uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't own the church. They said, well, who does then? The church owns the church. <laughs> right? I've t the people own the church. It's its own organization. I struggled real hard to get this through to preteens, but... I'm just the one responsible for it. I, I lead it, encourage it. I'm stewarding it right now. And then I had to explain that word, and it was a mess. I don't think, I was like, yes, I'm the principal. Just think of me like that. I, <laughs> principal is actually probably a closer 
term than owner. Like principal of the school, in charge for now, but not forever, right? More, there are more forces at work to govern a school than just the principal. Principal fulfills one certain role, but it's also beholden to the school board and parents and government and laws, etc. It's more close to pastor, isn't it? Far, there are far more people and things and laws and etc. that are in charge. I'm just fulfilling a role right now. I am stewarding the church. That's the role. But if I start to see myself as in charge, like it's mine, I'm in danger. Now, don't get me wrong, there are aspects to it where I have to manage it as though it were mine, steward it well, and all of that. It's a sacred responsibility, one that I take very seriously. But <laughs> it's not mine. It's ours. Right? We are to manage it. In fact, the Bible says it, it comes down to the pastor to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Not to do the work of the ministry, but to teach you all how to do it. <laughs> right? That's the job. So my point is, I'm, not a stu- I'm a steward, not an owner. Yeah? It's my job to see that the church is stewarded well. Steward the property, the finances, the people, whatever. We are to see our things in a similar way. Each and every one of us. Our blessings, our property, our children, our everything. We're stewards. Managers. Here and now. Not forever. Because there is no thing, not one thing, you can take into eternity with you. Not one thing. Someone else will eventually live in my house. Right? Will eventually drive my car, own my things, even call my kids their own. Have you ever thought about that? Not in a parent sense, hopefully. Right? But their own father, their own mother, their own family, their own ancestor someday. I am managing it for now. What I am doing in the here and now should somehow help to accomplish his purposes here on earth. What I am doing in the here and now, while he's away, remember back to the story, the master was away. Jesus is away right now in his physical sense. He, he was here, he is coming back, but he's not here right now. His spirit is in our hearts, obviously, but I mean his physical incarnate presence. What are we doing to further his kingdom while he's away? His kingdom is the only one that will last forever. No earthly kingdom has lasted forever. His is the one that matters because it's eternal. That's why when we give into the church, we're investing in eternity. And when you see these ripple effects of what Jesus' followers have done throughout the centuries, like education and and value on children and and healthcare and slavery and all of these things that, that Jesus' followers, these concepts that we have moved forward, you can see us stewarding him well. Throughout the centuries, that's what you're investing in. That's what the church is moving forward. His kingdom, not ours. How are you managing God's stuff to his ends? By the way, it isn't just stuff. These are gifts, too. Talents, gifts of the Spirit, your gift of administration or teaching or making things with your hands, your talent for leadership or evangelism, your gift of wisdom or gentleness or kindness. These things are gifts given by the Spirit. They are not yours. They are meant to be stewarded. They're gifts entrusted to you. They aren't yours any more than your stuff is. Are you stewarding those things well? Are you using them for his glory or for yours? Are you using them at all? I know people gifted in some things that they don't use them for the church or toward his kingdom at all. The third guy here in the story was too afraid of God to use them at all. He hid it. You know, I have been at certain points in my life, I have questioned why God would continue to to use such flawed leaders. Right? We see these amazing men of God who've built big churches and big ministries fall time and time again. And it turns out they've been falling for years. They've been failing for years. And I said, God, why? Why wouldn't you have stopped it so much sooner? Like it or not, the answer is productivity. God could still use them, which in the end should encourage you because he can use me too. He can use you too, even though we're all flawed and failing, right? It's an arrogant question. 
at its core. But they're still being used for enough good in the world that God is continuing to give them grace. He's not harsh at all. He's slow to anger, actually. Slow because even when we're flawed, we can still be used. There will come a time when the evil has to stop. Right? God always stops it, but God will be slow to anger. Don't hide the gifts God has given you. Even when it's scary, you step out, you begin to use them, be obedient, don't hoard them all to yourself. I have been discovering lately all over again just how much fun it is to use the gifts God has given me. Teaching Bold and Brave, my women's group this semester, has been so especially fun. I... (laughs) Every single week, don't get me wrong, every single Wednesday, I go in like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do it. And every single week, I go in feeling inadequate to do it. By by the way, I've been challenging the ladies this month and last month to come up with questions about the word, which inherently applies that I must come up with an answer. (laughs) What if I hadn't thought of that question before? What if I can't come up with an answer? What if I'm not enough? The inherent fears in that plan, right? And I've had those fears in the past, but every single week God reminds me, it's not you. You are not the, you are not enough. Get over yourself. (laughs) You are not the answer. More knowledge, more effort, more time. Those things won't be enough. Guess what is enough? Just him. Jesus. His spirit, his Holy Spirit resting in my life, that's enough. He said, I will give you all the answers you need when you need them. I will prepare you. I will empower you. All you have to do is be willing. Don't hide that gift I gave you in the dirt out of fear. Use it for my glory and I will be with you. Right? A lot of people can get wrapped up in the mystical nature of knowing the Bible. And I think some pastors, we play into this sometimes. Like, they want you to think there's something special about them, that they know so much about the Word, right? It's like unattainable. It's mad. Oh, I just spend so much time in prayer, and God gives me supernatural, blah, blah, blah. I have a big Bible degree, and I'm just feeling like, I'm just feeling like right now, God is speaking. Don't get me wrong, God speaks. But... Sometimes we play into that and we want people to think we're holier or we have special access to God. Each and every believer has access to God. It comes down to how obedient you are and how well you listen, which I guess are the same thing. makes it seem like the average person can't access that level of knowledge about the Bible. Only the elite can. Like you have to be a super spiritual, weird person, I don't know, to know this stuff. Which is the same, the same reason I've been unpacking in my women's group, my process. There's no magic in it. There's just years of being obedient, one step at a time, asking God questions and finding the answers. Yes, it's one of my spiritual gifts to teach, but it's not like I was born with it and no one else can flex that muscle, right? We each have our own spiritual gifts. I'm just using the one God gave me. All the good things about me are him. All the bad things about me are me. All the good things about me are him. I don't have a Bible degree, y'all. I used to be self-conscious about that fact. Like, people were just going to leave the church if they knew. (laughs) I'm credentialed with the Assemblies of God. Don't worry. Um, But I don't have a degree. God has gifted me to see these things because I spend time in the Word. That's all it is. I'm a full-time pastor, full-time mom. It's rough some weeks. This is not magic. When I, what I'm trying to say is it's not me. It's God. It's his gift. When I use it for him, he gives me more of it. When I hide it away, I lose it. I fully believe if I wasn't flexing the muscle, this, this gift muscle of teaching and preaching on a twice a week basis, I would lose some of this knowledge. Right, eventually it would fade and I'd find myself confused and unfocused in the word again. But because I'm using it, I'm given more. You can see that in this passage, right? How are you managing God's stuff toward his ends? How are you reproducing your faith in someone else? Because that's what this is ultimately about. 
Remember, I, I said this is a fi finance concept. Yes, but we're moving beyond. It goes far beyond that, too. While Jesus is away, what are you doing to build his church, to further his kingdom, to give him an even bigger return on his investment of dying on the cross for you 2,000 years ago? He's invested that in you. He bought and paid for you with his blood. How are you returning that investment? Because when you manage it well, you'll be given more responsibility. Which brings me to my third question today. How do you see blessings in general? I think a lot of us think that a job well done should mean that we get less on our plate. Right? The, the reward should be rest. Shouldn't it? <laughs> It's not really the theme of the Bible. A more biblical view is that rest is a discipline, not a reward per se. Peace is a reward of sorts, but not rest. There's no laziness in the Word of God that is long-lasting like that. No amount of cutting blessings out of your life will provide you the peace that only God can bring. Rest is a once-a-week discipline. You can talk about the Sabbath another time, it, but it's a severe rest discipline. Take it seriously. Get rest once a week, every week, or your body will take it for you, by the way. It's <clears throat> something to be taken seriously. It was built into the Jewish calendar. Once a week, every week, rest. And also there were a ton of long holiday vacations <laughs> throughout the word to observe religious feasts and fasts and sacrifices. There were lots of rest, not just 52 Sabbaths a year, but there are rhythms of that. My point here is that we tend to think blessings should come easily. I hear renters say all the time, once I get a house, things will be easier. Those of you laughing in the room are homeowners because it's not easy. It's a blessing. Don't get me wrong, but it is more work, right? Definitely not easier. I'm pretty sure I said that when I was a renter, too. And it's just, that's not how it is. We think life will be so much better when we have children, too. And yes, better is a word for it, but I can think of a whole lot of other words. <laughs> it's tough. It's hard work, right? Blessings come looking like hard work. Amazing blessings. But being entrusted with the master's things... They're blessings, but in the kingdom, they come looking like a whole lot of work, and it comes down to how you see the Father, how you see his blessings. Are they to be used and abused by you and you alone? I read in a commentary this week, it said, it is the duty of a man to render himself beneficial to those around him, to a great number if possible, but if that is denied to him, to a few, to his intimate connections, or at least to himself. If you can't even take care of yourself, how can God use you for more? If you can't take care of your checkbook, your home, your children, your spouse, your body, why would God give you more? Blessings are also responsibilities. Some of us are praying and praying for a specific blessing, but we're not ready to do the work yet. And God said, if I gave that thing to you, you'd lose it quickly. You have to develop the responsibility muscles before you're ready. That's why the Bible says a man who mistreats his wife can't expect to receive anything else from God. 1 Peter 3 says literally your prayers could be hindered if you mistreat your spouse. Because why? Why would God give you more if you can't handle the people he's already given you. Right, I know people who absolutely have callings of God on their lives, callings to be great pastors or teachers or evangelists, but they just can't figure out how to take care of themselves, their bodies, their families, their whatever, their health out of control because of large amounts of weight gain or drug abuse or whatever. They, they can't take care of their checkbooks or hold down a job or whatever the case was. Every ministry they tried to start fell apart. Or the Bible school they were always going on about attending, it all fizzled out. Your body is a resource to manage as well. How you treat it matters to God. When you're faith, this is a good time to ask how the fast is going. It just occurred to me. <laughs> you guys still in it? One more week? Woohoo! It's been really good for me, to be honest. I'll have to tell you how it's affecting me, but it's just 
It's very, very good for me right now. But when you are faithful with a little, here's the point, you will be given more. You can be given more. When you're not, even what you have will be taken. Notice in this parable, we're each given to according to our abilities, but each servant is given something. It's what they did with it. That determined what else was given. We are each given a life, a human soul to steward on planet Earth. If nothing else, that's what I say all the time, if Jesus never gave me another thing. He's already given me enough. Gave me salvation, right? All of the other blessings are so much extra, and it's so good, but I still have plenty to steward if I didn't have any of it. It's not about the bags of silver at all. I named this sermon the bags of silver. It's not actually about them at all. We tend to think it is. We think it's about the bags, how much I have. Right? Well, I wasn't given much. God hasn't given poor old me very much. It's not about the bags. It's about what you do with them based on how you see them and how you see God. You may be thinking today, you know, I I wasn't given anything. But I've been following Jesus for a while now. I know you have because I know him. God has given you gifts and talents you've been called to steward. He's been given you, he's given you a family, a job, a house, whatever it is. He's given you blessings. What are you doing with them to further the kingdom? How are you using them in everyday life for more than just you? You have been called to do things that scare you. I know because I have. We all have. You've been called to serve Jesus in some way, shape, or form. You've been given gifts inside of you that you can use to serve others. Do it. Step out in what little faith you have, the Bible says. Stop sitting around and hiding your gifts in the ground. Do something with them, and I guarantee they will grow. Invest your gifts in others. Flex that obedience muscle, because that is what qualifies you for ministry. Remember the quick repentance thing qualifies you for ministry. Repent, be obedient, and step into all that God has for you. Give into the fertile ground of the church, and God will produce it so much more in your life. God sowed his one and only son into us. He gave us Jesus, bought and paid for each and every one of you. How are you returning that investment to the world around you? Maybe today you're saying, I've never even accepted Jesus in my life. I I didn't realize that he gave all that for me. Today's your day. You know, we never end a service without giving you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That is intentional. Every single day you have that opportunity. And in fact, even those of us who have been following Jesus for 30 years should be getting up in the morning and still, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for pouring your life into me, for giving me life and life abundantly, for sacrificing yourself on that cross. That's what communion was meant to be, is a daily reminder who Jesus is. You have the opportunity to say that to Jesus today to thank him and praise him for every good thing in your life. Every good thing comes from above. Every single good thing comes from God, the Bible says. Thank you, Jesus. Today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity and ask you for some responses to this. But first... All throughout this series, we have been disciplining ourselves to take offering a little bit more seriously, right? So the ushers are going to come forward. We're all going to give together. But today, I I just want to challenge you. Say some things to God when you give, right? And whether it's you're giving in the offering right now or you're giving through online or, you know, it's automated through push pay, whatever. Say some things to God, specifically Tell him that you see your resources as his, right? And thank you, Jesus, for everything you've given me. Everything you've given me, I want to give back to you. Help me steward your things well. Help me 
give back well. Help me see my blessings as from you and not me. Can we pray that together as we give today? Ushers, go ahead and come forward. We're going to get our hearts ready for this. Hopefully you've already gotten ready throughout the service. But if you would and you have that, just hold it up. I didn't even bring my phone up here, so I, I give on mobile, so I can't even hold that. But, you know, hold it. Set your hearts. Let's do this intentionally together. Father, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, thank you for every good thing in my life. Thank you that you have given me these things as a gift because you are a good God. God, help me be worthy of those blessings. Help me live and truly see every single good thing in my life as yours, not mine. Help me take good care of my things and the people around me. Help me invest into your kingdom and let me see that on a day-to-day -day basis. Let me see how I can further your kingdom. Show me the opportunities. Help me change my thinking. Help me shift from a fear mindset, seeing you as unfair and unjust, handing out punishments. Help me see you as the good, amazing giver that you are. Help me see the abundance. I, God, right now, I'm declaring this and praying this over Freedom Valley right now that out of our people, you would just bring out new business ideas and and new ways to make money and to serve the church with it. God, I pray that you would turn our hearts toward your house, that we would be passionate about building the church and seeing Adams and York counties come to know you. That you would use each and every one of us in everyday life to preach the gospel and, and further your kingdom. Help us invest into eternity and leave this world better than we found it. Thank you, and we praise you for your word. Thank you for teaching us, guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and give together. Those buckets are coming by. As we do, I want to challenge you into another couple of responses. First of all, I think there's some of us in here that need to change our thinking. And the Bible says the way that we do that is through the word. We renew our minds with the words. You have to be in it to be able to start thinking this way, right? So the response today is I'm going to change my thinking. Not I want to, I need to, those are intentions. But I'm going to set a goal today of being in the word on a daily basis because I want to change my thinking. I want to start seeing the world as God's economy, I want to start seeing this as God's kingdom, not mine. I'm not building my kingdom. I want to build his, and I need to, to change my thought process. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm going to read the word. I'm going to be in it daily. I want to change my thinking. Awesome. Great. You can put those down. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to also give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. If you came in one of those people that I mentioned earlier with a cloud over you, you know, life has beat you up a lot lately. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is hope, there is freedom, there is joy in Jesus. It's not that he fixes everything immediately in your life, but it's that he gives you new perspectives. He helps you see the world around you differently, and he gives you hope and a future. He instills gifts and talents within you and purpose. There is purpose on planet earth for you. He's gifted you specifically and uniquely to minister to your world. There are things in this church that only you can provide and we're hurting because you're not giving them. There are things in, in your world and your sphere of influence that are hurting because you aren't using your God-given gifts and talents. Jesus wants to bring those out of you. Say yes to him today. Walking with him, I can't promise that it's always gonna be easier Sometimes it's harder, but I can promise it is so, so much better <laughs> to have him to go to, have a heavenly father that loves you so much. And of course he's there no matter what, but with Jesus, you get to have a relationship with him. You get to know him, hear him, speak to him, have a friend in your corner at all times who wants to love you, wrap his arms around you.
If that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, we call it saying, I'm in. I'm into following him. I'm into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to make that commitment today. If you're in the room, would you just raise your hand? Just slip your hand up right where you're sitting. I'm in to following Jesus. I want to say yes to him today. Or if you're watching online, you can text that number on the screen. I'd love to give you some information about that decision as well. Anybody else? I'm in to following Jesus. Awesome. I see those couple. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you all stand with me? We're going to pray one more time. And I have one more message in this series. Next Sunday, of course, is the last of this series. It's a heart for the house message. We're going to look at how Jesus thought about the church, how he saw God's house. And then Sunday night, we're going to come together at a special worship and prayer night. We're going to praise our hearts out. We're going to thank him. We're going to take a special offering and really give together that, that um, first fruits idea that we preached about last week. We're going to come together and really dedicate ourselves to the house of God and ask God for a special passion and anointing here in this house that God's spirit would flow out from here onto the world around us. Amen. Are you all as passionate about this as I am? If not, you will be next week. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you're doing here in our church and our body. God, I, I pray that you would bring out those gifts and talents that as we go through this week, you would anoint us for ministry. That we would each and every one of us feel a burning desire deep in our bellies that the Holy Spirit would just be brewing this fire within us to minister to the people around us, to use our gifts and talents in some way in our world to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, and see our world free. That we would be that hub in our community, encouraging and equipping the saints to go out and do the work of the ministry. That you would truly make us the vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be so that we can change the world with the message of the gospel. We speak that and claim it in Jesus' name over Freedom Valley. We thank you. And as we go from here, bless each and every person. Let us each go into our world seeing it as the missions field that it truly is. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 